Well, good morning from me. As Joel said, my name's Tom, and I lead the team here at Hope Church. And last week, we had Vision Sunday. If you didn't get to hear that message, please do head to our YouTube channel and check that out, because I shared a number of exciting pieces of news for us as a church, and I really want you to be aware of those things. One of the things I shared was that this week, we had signage put up on the uh, side and the front of the Hope Center, our building that we're in the process of refurbishing. And uh, you can see some images coming up on the screen now. Just a really, really exciting moment for us as a church as we uh, proclaim to our town that uh, Jesus is the hope of the world. And uh, in the coming weeks, we're going to be able to see these lit up in the night sky as well. So as winter draws in, we'll be able to shine the word hope brightly uh, to our town. I also shared last week that I would be announcing this week the date for our next gift day. And I can tell you that today uh, we are going to uh, be raising funds once more on November the 1st, on Sunday, November the 1st. We're going to be doing that even though we're going to be online uh, for that Sunday. Uh, we're going to be uh, explaining how you can go about giving towards that gift day. And our target for that gift day is £150,000. Now, we have had some really exciting news this week. We've been given significant grant funding and further loan funding um, from a number of different sources, which means that if we are able to raise what we hope to raise in November, we will then be over the line in terms of all of the funding that we need to find for the refurbishment of the Hope Center, which is really, really exciting. So we're going to be giving you more information in the coming weeks about that and how we can give on the day. But we're so thrilled that God has provided for us uh, thus far. He's provided for us in miraculous ways with money that we didn't know uh, that was available and is now available. And uh, we're going again with giving uh, right at the beginning of November. Now, I know that it's an economically uncertain time. And um, so we understand that some may not be able to give big sums. It might be that you actually think, I can give a little bit more um, each month to, to, to my giving uh, to Hope Church. It might be that that's the way you go about it. But for some, it will be possible to give uh, specifically to this offering. And we'd really love for you to be praying about that now, considering how much you can give uh, into the offering, into this gift day at the beginning of November. Okay, well, on to today's message. Uh, we're back in the Bible book of Luke, this account of Jesus' life that we've been working through for many months now. And we're once again in Luke chapter 10. And today we're coming across a story that is very well known, even to those who perhaps uh, haven't been to church before who, or who haven't picked up a Bible before. The name of this story will at least be known uh, to you. It's the Good Samaritan. And this is a parable which is another word for a story with deep lessons uh, for us. And Jesus tells many parables. And in fact, in the coming weeks and months, we're going to be covering well over a dozen parables, parables I expect, as we work through this book. And today's story, um, whilst we may know the story of the Good Samaritan quite well, we have, we have to actually see it in the context of the questions that Jesus was being asked in order to really understand what he's saying to us through it. Because we can perhaps um, throw around the phrase, good, the Good Samaritan, and we think it's someone who's simply a do-gooder, but we actually miss the reason why Jesus told the story. Now, Jesus, as we so often see, is faced with a tricky question. People would often give Jesus tricky questions in order to try and trap him. There, since there wasn't, uh, uh, since these, this wasn't a sincere question. This was someone trying to put 
Jesus into a corner from which he couldn't get out of. It's a bit like when uh, reporters might ask politicians difficult questions, really in an effort to try and get them to say something that will end their political career. And Jesus is being asked something, a tricky question, and this man is putting Jesus to the test. Will he, will he go down the biblical route? Will he say something that's contradictory to their scriptures, which is what we know as the Old Testament? What will Jesus do? And as so often Jesus does, he flips the conversation by asking a question back of this guy and in a masterful way really brings this guy to check his own heart and to see exactly what it is that he needs to do in response to Jesus. This is a phrase, the Good Samaritan is a phrase that has become very well known in our culture. It's a phrase that is used to describe do-gooders. It's uh, a phrase that Barack Obama used many, many times in his presidential speeches when he was addressing issues of injustice. And even in today's message, we're going to be covering what is our response as Christians to injustice and to those in need. But we're going to be going to some things that really are at the very core of Christianity and what it means to believe in Jesus. And we're going to finish, as we love to do, by marveling at Jesus and who he is and what he's done. So if you have a Bible where you are at home, why don't you open up your Bible right now at Luke chapter 10. It's in the second half of the Bible, the New Testament. The big number is the chapter and the smaller numbers are the verses. We're going to read verses 25 to 37. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put Jesus to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Now, as I've already said, this guy is hoping to put Jesus in a corner from which he cannot get out of. He's trying to test Jesus. He's trying to get Jesus to trip up and say something that he regrets. But Jesus said to him, what is written in the law? How do you read it? Jesus points this guy to the Bible. He's not going to say his own opinion here. He's saying, go to the scriptures. If you want to know the truth, if you want to know the foundations on which you should build your life, go to the scriptures. This is where we should go when we want to know how to build our lives and what the foundation of our life should be. So Jesus said, what is written in the law? How do you read it? And the man answered him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you have answered correctly, do this and you will live. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. And he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road. And when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was. And when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds pouring on oil and wine. And then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper saying, take care of him and whatever more you spend, I will, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said, you go and do likewise. 
As we work through parables in the coming weeks, one of the things that Jesus is inviting us to do is to see ourselves in these stories. He's inviting us to see who we are in this story. And he's inviting, he's inviting us to see who he is in this story and in the stories that we're going to cover in the coming weeks. He wants us to take a look at ourselves and see ourselves in here. And what we're going to do simply today is to go through the main characters in this story. And I want to show us today that actually we can see ourselves in pretty much all of these characters. So let's begin with the expert in the law, the man who tries to trick Jesus. We see ourselves in the expert in the law. Now you might think, I don't have anything in common with this guy. I am not legally trained. This guy knows his Bible much better than I do. I have no uh, desire whatsoever to learn about all these obscure laws, some of which seem really picky, some seem really bizarre. I've got, no, I've got nothing in common with this guy. That's about as expert as I get. I, I know a few Bible verses, but that's it. Well, let's look at this guy's heart a little bit deeper, and we'll soon see that perhaps we do have rather a lot in common with this man. First, we, we note his initial question. It's a, it's a really good question to ask someone who claims to be the eternally existing Son of God. What must I do to live forever? It's a good question to ask, but we're actually told of this man's heart and his heart behind this question is to trick Jesus. Initially, he's not that bothered about receiving an answer to this deep question. He just wants to look good and he wants to make Jesus look bad. And maybe you're watching or listening today and you find yourself getting in arguments a lot. You find yourself debating things a lot. And when you ask questions of people, it's not because you want to be enlightened further or really come to an understanding of where they're coming from. You simply want to make them look bad. You simply want to put them in a corner from which they cannot get out of. And maybe you're someone who debates people who've got big questions about your faith. Maybe they ask things of you and you think, I don't know how to answer this. Well, let me just give you a little bit of advice from someone who has been there and done it on a number of occasions and have learned the hard way. If someone is arguing with you and it's clear that they just want to be right, they don't really want to have an understanding, a deeper understanding of what you believe, don't even bother getting into the conversation. But there will be many who will ask questions because they want to know more, because they see something in you and they see something different about you and they want to know more. But if someone is simply wanting to argue and ask questions just because they want to make you look bad and stupid and they want to make themselves look good, then they're just proud and there is no bother. There's no point bothering uh, to argue with them about it. There's some that just want to argue because they're stuck in pride. And Jesus kind of detects this in this guy's heart and he goes back with a question to him and he points this man, supposedly an expert in the Bible, back to the Bible itself. And Jesus' response makes this guy feel uncomfortable because it's slowly dawning on him that Jesus has turned the table on him and this guy is actually seeing that it's impossible to do exactly what he's just said. It's impossible to love God with all your heart, mind, soul and strength in a perfect way. And it's impossible to love your neighbor as you love yourself in a perfect way. This man wanted to justify himself, we read. He wanted to justify himself, and therefore he starts to question the definition of neighbor. He should have asked, well, Jesus, how can someone come to have eternal life if they've failed to perfectly love God and love neighbor? 
How, how can they still be saved? How can one still be saved if they failed in that pursuit? But instead he asks, well, what actually defines a neighbor? Jesus could have responded to the right question by saying, hey, hey, listen, you've acknowledged that you, you've failed to love God perfectly and to love na- your neighbor perfectly. Well, listen, I've come not for those who, who think they've got it all sewn up. I've come for those who know they are spiritually sick and who need a doctor and a savior. I've come for you. But this man didn't ask that question. He said, I want to know what is the very minimal that I need to do. I, I want to know what I, can, what I can get away with. What can I do to make myself justified before God? How can I self-justify? This guy goes to the place where many of us have gone in our lives. And maybe this was you before you came to know Jesus, if you are a Christian. Maybe you are the one who thought, I just want to know what I have to do. What is the bare minimum that I have to do to try and lower God's standard somehow down to a place where we can be, clear, we can be cleared by human effort alone? So he says, Jesus, define neighbor for me. I want to know how I can get away with this, just doing the bare minimum. For many of us, that was our story. Maybe this is your story even now. Maybe you are trying to justify yourself by just telling people how, how well you're doing in, in the way of loving people. Maybe you, you love to, to sort of shout, uh, shout about what you do in service of others. Maybe you think, do you know what? I'm, I'm, I'm trying to be a very good person. I'm really trying hard. And you're actually just trying to justify yourself. Well, this guy is just starting to realize I can't do this. I can't do this perfectly. I, I can't love God perfectly. We have, to, we have to come to the end of ourselves. If we're to really enter into the kingdom of God, if we're to make Jesus our king and know him as our savior, we have to come to the end of ourselves and acknowledge, I've failed. I've failed to love God perfectly. I have messed up. And it's slowly dawning on this guy. We, we see in him our own attempts to justify ourselves. Maybe even as Christians we do this sometimes. We, we try to make people feel, uh, think highly of us. We try and justify ourselves in some way. And as we're going to see a little later on, we don't need to do this because Jesus has fully justified us. So we firstly see ourselves in this guy, but secondly we see ourselves in the beaten up traveler. This man, is, he's walking a treacherous road. He's walking the treacherous road of life and as Soon as Jesus mentioned in his story that this guy is walking on the road from Jerusalem to Jericho, people in the crowd would have tensed up straight away. They knew exactly where this story was going to go. It's a bit like when you watch a drama and the main character, who's usually like a, a hero of some description, is snooping around someone's house looking for a clue to solve the crime. You just tense up because you know that someone's going to walk in on them and attack them. They, they know what's happening in this story because this was a road that was dangerous. It was called the bloody road. I don't think that sounds very inviting. You wouldn't normally walk it on your own. And in fact, people would be warned, do not walk this road on your own. Because it came, uh, it was a very long road uh, with high mountain peaks and low valleys. And there were caves everywhere where robbers could hide out and pounce. And so this traveler has ignored people's warnings. He said, I'm going to go it on my own. I'm going to Ignore the warning calls. We're, we're like this traveler in so many ways. We've gone our own way in, in life. We've, warned, we've ignored the warnings from God. We've ignored the wisdom of God. And we've not only sinned against God and made a mess of our lives, but we've been sinned against 
as well. We're victims of sin as well, like this traveller was. And it's fascinating to me that these commands to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul and strength and to love your neighbour as yourself come up in this conversation with this expert in the law. Because in a whole other story in Mark chapter 12, Jesus is asked by another person who's trying to catch him out. Jesus, what is the greatest commandment? And Jesus says it is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul and strength and it's to love your neighbour as yourself. Jesus says that this sums up the whole of the law, the the Old Testament law that we read. It's all summed up in loving God with all of your heart, soul, and mind, and strength, and loving your neighbor as yourself. And the first uh, command that uh, is found in in Deuteronomy uh, concerning this, it actually became a prayer uh, for the Jewish people called the Shema, And they would pray it every day. They would say, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one, and you shall love him with all of your heart and mind and soul and strength. This was something that they repeated day in, day out. Loving God. This was to be the center of their lives. And it's fascinating to me that when you, when you see the lives of like, people like King David who messed up in big ways, there was a, a story where he seduced another man's wife and then she became pregnant with his child and then he had her husband killed. He, he manipulated the military commanders. He said, send this guy to the front of the battle and he ended up being killed. And there's a moment down the line where David comes to repentance. He, he realizes in his heart that he has sinned in a big way. And in Psalm 51, we see his prayer, his song to God. And and he says, against you and you alone have I sinned. It's in your sight that I've done evil. And today we might say, well, no, David, you've you've sinned against Bathsheba, this woman. You've sinned against her when when, when you seduced her. You've sinned against these military commanders when you manipulated them and lied to them. You sinned against this lady's husband when he ended up getting killed. You've sinned against a lot of people, David. And yet his response was, I've sinned against you, Lord. Because he knew that the greatest command was to love God with all of his heart and mind and soul and strength. And it was against God that he had sinned. Sin against God, it causes mess in our relationships and in our society but ultimately it separates us from God unless it is decisively dealt with by him. We see ourselves in this traveler traveling through life, going it alone, going it our way in rebellion against God's wisdom for our lives. It's against God that we've sinned. We've done evil in his sight. And our rebellion, our sin, it it leaves us, as the Bible describes it, as dead in our trespasses and sins. And this guy, we read, is, is, is half dead. He's left half dead. And it's in a similar way, we are half dead before we come to know Jesus. We might be physically alive, but we're spiritually, dead. we're spiritually dead people. And we need a rescuer. This guy needed a rescuer. And three possible rescuers come along. Now, the first two are not helpful for him at all, and we can see a mixture of allegory here for us, but also some profound points about how we are to help those in need. Firstly, we see ourselves in the priest and the Levite, these first two religious guys that come by and walk by on the other side. 
It's easy to see these guys as heartless. It's easy to sort of say, how could they do that? Well, listen, there's some logic in them not stopping. They see a guy on the road bleeding to death. They don't know if he's really dead or alive. And they might think to themselves, if I stop here, they, these robbers could still be around and I could be next. I could be the, the one joining him on the ground here. So there's some logic in leaving this guy at the side of the road. They want to get off this road as quickly as possible. This is a, a treacherous road. There's not some nice air-conditioned service stations along the way. They've got to get off this road as quickly as possible. They're traveling it out of necessity, not out of tourism. So firstly, they're in a hurry, but they also encounter a guy who's, who's bleeding, and that's going to make them ceremonially unclean as well, because that's what their religion taught them. Don't touch someone who's dead. So they're thinking, oh, this isn't a good idea. So in some ways, it's a smart decision by them to walk by on the other side. But there is a, there is a selfishness on display here. And this is where we see ourselves. We are all inherently selfish people. We, we look out for number one. And we might not move towards those in need for fear of harm to ourselves. And this pandemic is making that even more pertinent, I would suggest, that we might not move towards people who are in need because we might be thinking, well, I don't want to get ill. I don't want to get sick. A friend of mine had a fall on the beach the other day. She ended up with a very badly bruised back, and there were many, many people around her, and no one came to her aid, presumably through fear of, well, what if she has the virus? What am I going to do? Am I going to get sick through this? We are, at heart, all self-preservationists. Jesus teaches us another way, as we're going to see in a moment. Jesus teaches us to trust him for provision and protection and to have all we need as we, we try and radically love those that we come across. But we're, at heart, orientated around self. And, and this came home to me even as I was preparing this message sitting in Costa. It's been a busy week and I had lots to do and I was trying to get this message done. And people kept on coming to speak to me. Some people I didn't know, some people I did know. And I was really thinking, God, I, I can do without this right now. But God, uh, he provoked me in this and said, hey, this is my agenda. I want you to love these people well. Don't think about your own agenda for a moment. Think about my agenda. I, I need this more. I need to lay down my own agenda and see that God's agenda is better. I need this more. Pray for me in this. I want to be less self-orientated and more uh, orientated towards God and others. Pray for me in this. Pray for yourself in this. We need this more and more. And finally, we don't see ourselves in the Good Samaritan. We see Jesus in the Good Samaritan. You might have heard this story as a child and you might have been told, don't be like the Levite or the priest, be like the Good Samaritan. And yes, that is a good message, but ultimately we see Jesus in the Good Samaritan. And the fact that the protagonist in this story is a Samaritan would have been absolutely shocking to the people listening to Jesus. We've just experienced in chapter 9 the hatred that the Jewish people had towards the Samaritans. James and John, the so-called sons of thunder, these were disciples of Jesus, they said to Jesus when this town seemingly rejected Jesus and his message, they said, let's call down fire upon this town right now. They wanted them all killed. There was a real hatred towards the Samaritans. 
And Jesus chooses to make the Samaritan the hero of the story. It would be like for our Western ears, an ISIS fighter being the hero of the story. It would be completely mind-blowing for us. When they heard of the Samaritan, they would have thought, oh, well, the priest and the Levi walked on by. The Samaritan's going to do something horrendous now. And it would have been booing and hissing because this guy is not expected to be the hero. But instead, the Samaritan is the one who took pity on the half-dead man. And he lavished kindness on the wounded stranger at his own personal expense. Despite the potential danger, despite the fact there could have been other robbers around, he pulled out oil and wine and he attended to the man's injuries. And then he put the man on the back of his animal, probably a donkey, and that meant he would have to walk the rest of the journey himself. And he took this man to an inn, and once they'd arrived, the Samaritan spent his time and money ensuring that this man was going to be well provided for. This man's kindness is extravagant. It's totally over the top. And the fact that he's a Samaritan makes this story absolutely scandalous. This sounds a bit like our Savior, doesn't it? It sounds a bit like Jesus. We bear a lot of resemblance to the helpless man lying in the road. We bear resemblance to the man trying to justify himself by asking Jesus these questions. We bear resemblance to the priest and the Levite who walked on by, who, who through self-preservation said, I'm not going to go there. And yet here we see a picture of the wonderful Savior. We see a picture of Jesus, the eternally existing Son of God, who stepped out of eternal comfort and glory and into human history and who walked the treacherous road of life on earth. He walked the road that we all walk. He came to us while we were still his enemies. The Samaritans and the Jews were enemies. Jesus came to us while we were still his enemies. He met us when we were, were spiritually dead. We were dead in our sins and our mess. And he fulfilled the requirements and paid the price so that our souls could be healed. This is Jesus. We didn't add anything to this deal. Just as the half-dead traveler, he couldn't get himself up off the road. He couldn't haul himself up onto the donkey. We have added nothing to this except for our mess. We've added nothing to the equation except for our mess and our helpless state. We've got no resources to deal with the fact that we're spiritually dead. We need to have life breathed into us by someone who is life itself. We need Jesus. And let us be those who revel in what Jesus has done for us. Just as we've done this morning as we've sung, let us be those who revel daily in what Jesus has done for us. Let us revel in the story of the Good Samaritan because it's a picture, really, of what Jesus has done for us. The, the priest and the, the Levite representing the law of God, that, that couldn't save us. Trying to abide by the law, trying to do, 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 trying to don't, don't, don't. We, we, it couldn't save us. It was powerless to save us. We needed a savior. We needed a good Samaritan to come into the story. We needed Jesus. And the fact that the Samaritan is the hero of this story, it was so offensive to the listeners of this day. And so is the gospel to those who don't know Jesus. It's offensive to hear we need saving. It's offensive to hear that Jesus, we, we need him. 
We need forgiveness. It's offensive. Maybe you're offended today. Maybe you feel like, I don't need forgiveness. I can work my way out of the mess that I've created in my life. I can work my way out of it. You need Jesus. You need to know him as your savior. And these Jews, they were expecting a Messiah to come and deal with their Roman oppressors. They, they expected the Messiah to look a certain way. They, did, they expected their Savior to come and uh, uh, cause an uprising against the Romans and finally beat back the Romans all the way to Rome itself and to raise a flag of Israel above the Colosseum and declare Israel is great again. That's what they were expecting. They were expecting their Messiah to come and make Israel great again. And yet, this Messiah, the true Messiah, he came and he worked as a humble carpenter. And he had dinner parties with, with life's outcasts and prostitutes and weirdos. And he, he had compassion on the lepers who no one wanted to go near. And then he himself, instead of raising a flag above the might of Rome, he was raised up on a cross in front of the crowds. His big moment, his big seminal moment wasn't the destruction of an army. It was his being raised up on a wooden cross with his hands smashed to a piece of wood and with a crown of thorns rammed into his head. This is Jesus. He's the unexpected Messiah. They didn't expect a Messiah to look like this. And yet the Bible teaches us that he was there in our place. And three days later, he would rise out of the grave. He would burst forth from death. And he would, in doing so, defeat the enemy of our lives, Satan himself. He would make a way for all who would trust in him to know eternal life. That the way to, to have eternal life in answer to this man's question is to trust in Jesus who has gone to the grave and has risen again. And who says, believe in me. I will give you eternal life. Trust in me. Throw yourself on me. Do not rely on your own works. Don't be self-reliant. Don't try and self-justify. Rely on me. I'm all you need. This is Jesus. And it's as we revel in his incredible grace, as we celebrate it, as we glory in it, our hearts begin to change. And more and more, the center of the universe becomes not ourself, but our God and increasingly the needs of others. It, the gospel, it reorientates us. It, it relocates the center of our universe away from our agenda and our needs to the agenda of God. God first and the needs of others. So what is our response to the, to the injustice in this world? What is our response to the needs of this world? We've got many things going on in society right now, and you might think, what is our response? Well, it will look like many things. It will look like many acts of kindness, many initiatives, and it will be very varied. We're involved in a number of things as a church, and we would love for you uh, to check out our Loving Our Town page on our website simply so that you can see what it is that you could potentially get involved with. But listen, our, our kindness, radical generosity, our acts of mercy, they must be fueled by, inspired by, shaped by the gospel of Jesus. They must be a response to what he has done for us in coming to earth, living the life we couldn't live, dying the death that we deserved, 
they must be uh, they must be a response to that, not any kind of self-justification effort. When Jesus says, "Go and do likewise." He's instructing us to go in the power of the Spirit and in response to the gospel. He's instructing us to go in awe of who he is and what he's done. And it's just, as we're reveling in that, our hearts are changed and we just say, God, I want to lay my life down for your service, for the good of others. I want to give of myself in response to your mercy. Listen, self-justification is rife right now. There are many people who gladly want to put on their social media, I'm involved with this cause. I have done this act of kindness. I support this particular group. And at the heart of it is self-justification. In many ways, our society is more religious than it ever was. We've, in large parts, turned our back on Christianity. But in, in many, many ways, our society is as religious as ever. Where people are saying, I wear this badge. I do this thing. Please think highly of me. Please justify me in your eyes. And we, friends, we can be free of that. We can be free of virtue signaling. We can be free of self-justification because Jesus has justified us freely. We don't need to think, I just need people to think highly of me. I need to tell everyone about what I'm doing because I need them to praise me. I need everyone to know that I support this cause and that cause is the particularly uh, trendy cause right now. I need people to know that. Now we can turn our back on that and we can say in response to God's mercy, in response to this amazing good Samaritan that's come into my life and has breathed new life into me at great cost to himself, I can lay my life down and I can look to serve the needs of others. This is who we are at Hope Church. We're, We're making Jesus famous in Ipswich, and in the nations. And we're doing this through proclaiming the gospel. We're doing this through raising up servant-hearted leaders. We're doing this through loving our town. We want to love this town well because we have been shown great love by God. I want to pray for us right now. But before I pray, I want to urge you, if you are watching this message today, if you stumbled across it somehow, if someone's invited you to watch today, and you just know, I, I need to give up self-justification. And I I just need to give up. I I need to throw myself on Jesus. Well, do that right now. Do that as I pray. Say, Jesus, would you forgive me? Would you forgive me for the times when I've tried to go it alone? Would you forgive me for the times that I've tried to justify myself? I trust you. Take my sin and my mess. Give me new life. You can say that to him today. Put it in your own words. You don't need me to do that for you. I'm just going to bow my head for a moment, and then I'm going to pray for us and all that are watching. But why don't you, just as we pause, why don't you give your life to this Jesus? And, and please tell someone if you've done that, because they would, uh, particularly someone who is a Christian, because they would love to help you in your next steps of what it is to follow Jesus. Let's just bow our heads just for a moment and allow God to speak to us and to do things in our hearts as as we pause. Let's pray. Father God, we want to just say we stand in awe of your mercy, that you would send your son, Jesus, into this world, that he would walk the treacherous 
road of life, that he would come into our world and, and live a normal life. He would experience what we experience, but it was normal in some ways, but extraordinary in others. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you demonstrated mercy and compassion. You oozed love and gentleness. You gave of yourself. And Lord Jesus, you ultimately gave of yourself on the cross, where you poured out your blood for us, where your body was broken for us. And we want to be those who go and do likewise, not in any effort to try and justify ourselves, but in response to your great mercy. And I want to ask you, Lord, that we, this week and in the weeks and months to come, would be other-centered people, that we would not be centered on ourselves, but we would be worshipers of you and lovers of our neighbors. Help us to be compassionate like you are compassionate. Help us to be compassionate like the Good Samaritan was towards the man who was in need. Help us to be full of compassion because you have shown us great compassion. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you.